maybe you should get the Suns early because they haven't had that many games under their belt. What's Kevin Durant played? Nine games? Ten games? Nine, I guess, with, with the Suns? Right. So maybe you want to catch the Suns early before they have a chance to get a series of four, five, or six games under their belts and then really sort of hit stride. It's Mike Wilbon from uh, ESPN bringing up a point that uh, maybe others outside of Phoenix are thinking going into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Get the Suns early. We talked about it earlier in the show, Bick. Maybe uh, take care of the L.A. Clippers early before they can get a healthy Paul George back. But, I mean, what Mike Wilbon makes sense on a, on a plan to beat the Suns. They don't have a lot of experience together. Maybe that's the, the, the key to beating them is jump on them early. Or, or getting them early yeah. might be a plus for a team like the Clippers. Well, yeah, I guess. I, I think that this is definitely one of the talking points that's going to surround the Phoenix Suns, and that is how much prep time do you need? How much reps do you need? How much time do you need together as a group? And the Suns seem to be circumventing this about as much as you can. And, and with, with no ill effects yet. They're still KD and O with eight games, um, eight <laughs> victories, and it, it is what it is. And I think that will be a thing until they lose one of these games. Uh, they haven't all looked good. There have been games in which they've coughed up big leads, but they've just showed the vic- they showed the ability, a shockingly easy ability, to kind of work out a winning formula in these basketball games. And that's uh, for all the people who think the Suns might be vulnerable when they start getting tested. There's a chance those tests might make them even more lethal and True. even more dangerous. Uh, the temperature of this basketball team is the great unknown. And it's it's how are they going to be burning in terms of atonement for to make up for what went down last year? Are they fueled by Al McCoy? Are they thinking about these things? Do they feel pressure? All these things are in the air. But you know what? It's not unique to us you if you had a rank who is feeling if you had like a tire gauge for the NBA playoffs to list who is feeling the most pressure pounds per square inch right mm-hmm. Nikola Jokic would have to be at the very top of the list two-time MVP number one seeded nuggets picked by nobody to get out of the West that is true I okay? think there's a lot of pressure there a lot of pressure on the Boston Celtics yes to get it done this year they were in the KD sweepstakes for a minute. Uh, caused a lot of internal strife with their team. Team that was close last year and couldn't mm-hmm. get it done. A lot of pressure on them. Uh, John Morant, I don't know if there's pressure. There's certainly an opportunity here. If he takes over these playoffs and is spectacular, people are going to forget all that weirdness he just went through. I guarantee it. If he has one of these Michael Jordan breakout postseasons where he's dropping 50 a night. Yep. All that weirdness that went down in that strip club, it will disappear, I guarantee you. I think there's pressure on the Philadelphia 76ers. Joel Embiid, yep. Odds on favor for the MVP and another guy in in James Harden who has not been able to get over the top. Exactly. Uh, But, I mean, the Phoenix Suns made the marquee trade Mm -hmm. at the trade deadline, and they bring in one of the best players on the planet. That comes with pressure. Yeah, Uh, it does. you, You can't deny it. And I know there's three years left on Kevin Durant's contract, but there's pressure now for this postseason and the three years that follow for the Phoenix Suns to accomplish something that they never have. That is the sole yes. reason they made this yes. deal, exactly. to win a championship. Exactly. And the implications, if they pull it off, are staggering for a lot of individuals involved, uh, from the owner all the way on down. Um, but this is it, it's going to be fierce. It's going to be unpredictable. The Suns are drawing one of the more unpredictable Opponents out there, Kawhi Leonard is a weird, weird dude, but he is special when he's healthy. Special. Totally agree. And and there doesn't seem to even be consensus on 
whom the favorites are. And if you look at, like I looked at FanDuel, I've got the, the futures odds. Mm-hmm. And, and right now, according to their, their numbers this morning, the Suns are the odds-on favorite to get out of the West. Golden State is second, Denver's <laughs> third, followed by Memphis, the Lakers, and the Clippers. In terms of winning a championship, the mm-hmm. Suns have the best odds of the Western Conference, but third overall behind Milwaukee and Boston. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, that's a little bit reassuring. And then, you know, you pull up the ringer, the ringer.com, the NBA odds machine uh, from the ringer in a piece written by Zach Cram earlier this week. They've got the Boston Celtics as the overwhelming favorite to win the finals. 29% chance. I don't know how they determine their odds because they've got the Cleveland Cavaliers with the second best odds to win the finals at 14%. And that is a team nobody's talking about. Wow. Philadelphia third at 11%. Mm-hmm. Memphis fourth. Denver fifth. And the Bucks and Suns tied for sixth with a 7% chance to win the NBA wow. Finals. Yeah. I like their chances a lot. I I would not, if, if say, you were to drop the Phoenix Suns down right now against the Bucks or the Celtics, I would not like their chances one bit. I wouldn't Magic either. Magic-wise, schematically. But you don't know what's coming out of the East and how one is going to influence the other and will it level the playing field. Uh, this is, to me, I really believe that this basketball team might be closer to a championship than they've ever been. If you believe that the Suns were, were just not going to beat Michael Jordan, again, I know that I'm biased because I was in Chicago. Chicago at the time, but I do believe that. that then, then you have to qualify, okay, how close were they to a championship? Well, they were four wins away. That sounds pretty darn close. At one point in time, that series was three games to two. You're two games away. That sounds pretty darn close. To me, I'm going to be honest with you. As a guy that covered that series, even people in Chicago didn't feel a ton of danger. Now, if it would have gone to a Game 7, that would have been a different story. But it, it, to me, what the point I'm trying to make here is that for a team that is clocking in with how many regular season losses did they end up with? 35, 30, no, 37. 37. 45 and 37. For 37. Yeah. That's, an awful, that's an awful big number for an NBA champion, but I love their chances. Would for be the second highest number ever if they win the championship. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But let me go back to what you said about the the 92-93 series and and the belief and and there wasn't a lot of fear in Chicago. But I can give you the Phoenix perspective Mm -hmm. on on why there was hope. And it was more about it it wasn't as much about a magical year. It was about the fact that Suns fans and and a lot of people in the NBA believed that they had the guy to combat Michael Jordan in Charles Barkley. He won the MVP. If you go to the 2021 finals, we were all hoping for it, and the Suns were up 2 nothing in that series. But when Giannis got right physically, did the Suns, even though Devin Booker was ridiculous in two of those games, in games four and game five, where he had 40-plus points, mm-hmm. did they have the, the requisite personnel to combat a guy who's just going off in the finals? No. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah. Now they do. Mm-hmm. Now they've got Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. And it's not just adding you know, reinforcement. Again, it's adding one of the best players that's in the game today. And, you know, again, I, I brought this up yesterday. The the fact one of the things I love about the playoffs is all this crap you deal with for eighty two games in the NBA about load management and minute restrictions and all that, it just goes out the window and your mm-hmm. best players play 
Kevin Durant's going to play 40-plus minutes uh, every yeah. night for well, the Suns. Well, and it's, it's also going to get very physical from this point forward, and that's, and that's something that, yes. that I'm not sure how the Suns stack up in that. You know, I, I'm not saying that they're a soft basketball team. They're certainly not the most physical team in the playoffs. But no, it's I would some, agree. It's something they're going to have to battle through. They're, it's something they're going to have to accept, absorb, and not get not get all whacked out based on the officiating. That's one yeah. thing that Kevin Durant's brought to this team that I really, really admire. He didn't get caught up in that. He, every now and again, he'll look at the ref like, come on, man. But he never, never loses his mind on refs. That's a good point. Uh, you can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Suns don't play until Sunday, but the festivities get started tonight with the play-in tournament. we got two seven-versus-eight games. We'll take a look at both of them straight ahead. It's Bickley and Murata mornings on this Tuesday here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata mornings. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. It's just very frustrating, you know, a couple blown assignments, um, a lot on the line tonight, you know, not, we're not proud of that behavior by anybody, um, uh, you know, really haven't dug too far into, like, the root cause of it, but guys are just frustrated, we weren't playing well, we weren't sharing the ball, we weren't, you know, we're getting beat in all the little areas, I mean, we look sluggish, like, you don't want to back-to-back, but I think the gravity of the game made, made it feel like, you know, we were... Um, in a little bit of panic mode, and we, you know, just trying to get calmed down there. So. That's Chris Finch, the uh, head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves, whose team absolutely imploded on Sunday in a game they ended up winning. Uh, they are in one of the play-in games tonight. You got the mm-hmm. Eastern Conference play-in game between Miami and Atlanta. I think an interesting plot point there was there's various reports out today, Bick, that say the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, have been given the green light. Their their uh, the front office has been given the green light to shop Trey Young this <laughs> this off season, which is probably not what really? you want on the day of the playing game. Wow! Uh, so there's something to watch there. I know that Atlanta's been kind of a disappointing team this year. Mm-hmm. I think Miami's been kind of a disappointing team this year. Yeah, Miami's been up and down. Miami uh, to get into this whole thing, they had 111 bench points. Did you see that over the weekend on Sunday? No. Hunt, yeah, they, uh, they beat the Magic. Their bench almost outscored the entire match. They scored 111 well, bench points. When you get 24 from Udonis Haslam. Well, this, but that's what I'm saying. Just it, It's basketball is just ridiculous over the weekend. It was it was like every game was some weird um, dystopian, dystopian all-star game kind of thing. It was just bizarre. With preseason mixed into yes. it, too. Yes. So, so to me, I'm like, I don't even know what's what anymore, right? I mean, you just, it, the fact that, and, and so the cool thing is, is that tonight, Mark, the beginning. This is basically the beginning of the postseason journey for all of us. And I am hoping that this is going to be the time of our lives. So my instructions to everybody is to savor it all. Try to keep the officiating and Scott Foster out of your head. Try to realize people are not out to get the Phoenix Suns. In fact, in fact, I will I will submit to you. All you persecution complex fans in the Valley, if you think the NBA has conspired against you before because you are the small market Phoenix Suns, you should feel really good right now because the NBA would like nothing more than Kevin Durant against Steph Curry in the Western Conference Finals. Okay, so if if you're going to wear the tinfoil hat this postseason, gather around that. It'll make you feel a lot better. Uh, the NBA had just announced the 36 officials selected to the playoff roster. All right. 
Scott Foster is on the roster. Well, of course he is. He's a good ref. <laughs> Unless you're Chris Paul. Yeah, no, it's, but, but again, this is this is what I'm thinking. It just just don't don't give me this line. The NBA doesn't want us because we're Phoenix, Arizona. The NBA would very much want Kevin Durant against Steph Curry. Absolutely. Now you know because listen, the Lakers are going to be on the other side too, aren't they? With the bracket. Yes. Okay. And the Lakers get started tonight mm-hmm. in the play-in game. The second of the two play-in games are going to host the Minnesota Timberwolves, the team that just had their their implosion. Can you make? The basketball gods argument that what happened Sunday in Minnesota is kind of everything conspiring to benefit the Los Angeles Lakers. Rudy Gobert gets suspended. Mm -hmm. Jaden McDaniels, whatever. He punches a wall. He's out. Mm -hmm. They don't have Nas Reed. The... The details that went into what happened with Rudy Gobert, it was a horrible look Mm -hmm. because he lashes out at Kyle Anderson. If you read the reports about what Kyle Anderson repeatedly said to Rudy Gobert, Mm -hmm. I could see Rudy Gobert snapping. And there's an article in the Star Tribune written by Chris Hine, who's the beat writer for uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves for the Star Tribune. And he's going to join us in the 9 o'clock hour, by the way. But it talks about how Kyle Anderson is that guy. That says hard truths to everybody. And everybody acknowledges, well, you don't like the way he says it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have much tact when he says it, mm-hmm. but he wants to win, and we respect that. And mm-hmm. then, the, you know, a day later, Rudy Gobert snaps on him. I don't know if Rudy Gobert should have been suspended, quite honestly. Can you talk to your teammates that way consistently when it's an emotional game? I I don't think uh, the league, I don't think a team, I I just don't think you can tolerate that kind of behavior. Now, there there are people who are are even trying to mitigate the severity of the punch that Rudy Gobert threw at um, Kyle Anderson, claiming it was more of a push than anything. And yeah, kind of, but you just, it's a bad look. It's a bad precedent. It's, it's, I, I think, I think that kind of stuff can't be tolerated, to be honest with you. With you. And, and, maybe, and you know what? It, 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 to me, I, I'm not sure the Lakers were going to lose that game anyways. And, and I think the Lakers and the Grizzlies is a potential. I, I said this earlier in the show. I think if that happens, if the Lakers is a seven, go and play the Grizzlies as a two. I think the Grizzlies are going to bounce Lakers right out of the playoffs. Is what I believe. That's good. I, it's a tough series both ways. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure it is. But this idea that the top three teams are vulnerable because of this, that, and the third isn't necessarily true. Might be, but it isn't necessarily true. Pedigree isn't everything. It's something. Yeah, I just think it's weird, though, because I don't, I, I don't believe we've ever seen a playoff bracket in either conference, and I'm looking at the Western Conference, where you go seeds... Five, six, seven, eight, depending on whatever shakes mm-hmm. out. You have the Golden State Warriors, who have four champions. Their core has four championships. Mm-hmm. You have the, the Los Angeles Clippers, who have Kawhi Leonard and possibly Paul George. You have the L.A. Lakers, who have Anthony Davis and LeBron James and all kinds of championship pedigree. We've never seen a back half of any bracket mm-hmm. with those. I mean, with that those, kind of star power. Yeah, yeah okay, I mean, those are yeah. landmines to get through. I agree with you on that. I do, and I think that's part of it. It's it's part of affecting the way people are looking. What's going on at the top, and, and also the recognition that the regular season is so meaningless that the the, the the pecking order just doesn't matter. That was the hardest lesson the Suns learned last year. That the sixty four wins got them nothing yeah you know and so 
So this is uh, it's, it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be great. Our team has got as good of a chance to win as anybody. Let's just hope that health obliges. And it, it, some, but th- there will be players who go down in the first week, in the second week, in the third week of the playoffs because of the physicality and the speed and the intensity. It's it's such a ramp up from the regular season that things go snap, crackle, and pop. It just it does. One last point on the Minnesota Lakers game tonight. All right. Maybe Rudy Gobert, with his actions, the Timberwolves looked at the numbers and said, yeah, you know what, we got to suspend him. They're 8-4 and four this year without Rudy Gobert. Mm-hmm. 34 and 36 with See, him. 667 so winning percentage that. with him and a 486 or without him and a 486 winning percentage he, with he him. He is not that big of a loss <laughs> for a team to it. We've all seen him. He's a buster. But he can play a little bit of defense, and he's somebody that could body up on Anthony Davis. So I don't know, but but you're right. A, a lot of times, situations like that, teams respond without him. But, but you've seen it with the Mavericks very frequently. Mm-hmm. Luca's got to miss a game, and suddenly everyone's like, "Oh, good, I get to play basketball tonight instead of watch." <laughs> get to watch that guy dribble. Yeah, great. Uh, Shoot yeah, free throws looking, and wine. Looking forward to the doubleheader tonight. Oh yeah, me too. especially that second game for, mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. Coming up next, Sarah Cazell will take us through the big stories of the day in the Rush Hour Reboot. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings. Rush Hour Reboot. Rush Hour Reboot. Setting you up to speed on everything happening in sports this morning. Brought to you by Brooklyn Betting. Arizona built for America's dreams. Hello, my friends. Welcome into the Rush Hour Reboot here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. On Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. It is great to have you all with us, whether you are driving your kids to school, you're heading to work, maybe you're coming back from work, our overnight, late night shift folks. It's great to all have, uh, have you all with us as we get you caught up on the top stories of the day. I'm Sarah Cazell with Dan Bickley. Well said, Sarah. Hey! Hey, we have to make sure that people feel appreciated. Yes. Very important. Vince Morata. Wow, that's awesome sauce. <laughs> Jerry and I... Love saying, wow, that's awesome sauce to each other behind the scenes. That's great. But I don't have Jarrett here to do that with me today. It's Lauren Koval instead. Hello, everybody. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Great to have you with us. Not a miss yet today, by the way. She is crushing those buttons on the board. All right. Mm -hmm. Let's get into the top stories of the day. We are now five days out from game one between the Suns and the Clippers in the first round of the playoffs in downtown Phoenix. We do not have a tip time yet. But, of course, we will let you know when we know. There's a lot on the line for the Suns as they get going in this postseason run. Of course, you know, a lot, a lot of Suns fans are still holding on to trading Mikel and Cam Johnson, Johnson, Johnson. Yes, to go all in with Kevin Durant. Uh, scary, especially for somebody who is injury um, prone. There's the talk of legacy with Kevin Durant and with Chris Paul. Oh, he can't win in the playoffs. This morning on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, that was the topic of discussion. Isaiah Thomas said Chris Paul still has time to change the narrative around his career this postseason. The reason why I say the narrative could change for Chris Paul, because he would be a small point guard like myself who handles the basketball, assists, and scores. And, you know, when when it's all said and done at that position, he you could say that he and I, from a traditional point guard position standpoint would be the only one who's done it and that would totally change the narrative for him and I'm rooting for him to do it okay so like we said Chris Paul 
There is a narrative around him that he can't win in the postseason. He is cursed. There's Kevin Durant. Can't win a title without glomming on to another multi-star team. And then Devin Booker, who is starting to earn more respect as a star around the league, but I think still has little ways to go. Who of those three has the most to prove in this playoff run? Wow. Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker. Not Kevin Durant. He's already proven it, and he's only been here eight games. I don't think that... I, I, I think he can get legacy points. I don't think there's going to be any subtraction from him if this happens. Okay. Um, Chris Paul, yeah, this might be the last good chance for Chris Paul to win a championship. Chris Paul's um, very future in Phoenix is kind of hanging in the balance. Devin Booker's got a lot of time left, and I think that the people know he's a flat-out baller. So I, I think the answer is Chris Paul. I do too, but it's also interesting and piggybacking off of what Isaiah Thomas said in that, where he, you know, kind of identifies himself and maybe Chris Paul is the only true point guards that would ever win one. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, Bob Cousy would like to have a word. Is Allen Iverson? I mean, I know he was a scoring point guard, but he was a, a smaller guy. But I also think it's interesting because Chris Paul's role is changing. Yeah. He's not, I mean, when they were in the finals. Two years ago, he played a much different game than he's being asked to play right now, and I can't wait to see what that looks like in the playoffs, yeah. quite honestly. Yeah, I, I think that it, it's easy to say that having a ring isn't really that big of a deal, but you can name the guys, the famous players, who don't have one and maybe deserve one. So we, by definition, I think it is a big deal. You don't want to be John Stockton or Carl Malone or Charles, Charles Barkley, Barkley or Steve yeah. Nash. You, you don't want to go down as an all-time great who has never lifted the trophy. It's yeah. almost easier to name that group than the one who have a bunch of rings, don't you think? They stand out? It's They do they stand do. out. They do stand out. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm sure you guys have picked up on this when listening to the national shows, radio, television, whatever. The national storyline around the Suns right now seems to be that the Suns are a good team to catch early on in the playoffs because Kevin Durant is still relatively new in the fold and they're still building that chemistry. This is from the national perspective, including Michael Wilbon. He said that earlier this week. Maybe you should get the Suns early because they haven't had that many games under the belt. What's Kevin Durant played? Nine games? Ten games? Nine, I guess, with with the Suns? Right. So maybe you want to catch the Suns early before they have a chance to get a series of four, five, or six games under their belts and then really sort of hit stride. What do you guys think about that thought process? Are the Suns at all vulnerable from a chemistry or flow perspective? I don't know. I don't I mean, I don't know if they are. It's an interesting point because we've never seen it come up to this degree in the NBA playoffs before. But to Michael Wilbon's point, I mean, there's been eight teams that have had an opportunity to get the Suns early and were unable to do it, too. Now, I realize yeah. you were talking about a different intensity and a different quality of teams, but mm-hmm. n- nobody's touched them yet without that cohesion built yeah. in. So Yeah, and, and what he, the root of it, what he's saying, and I think it's fundamentally accurate, is that... These, the Suns are going to be tested and defended in a way that they haven't been yet, and they don't have any experience with that kind of high-pressure testing yet. And it, and it may come real natural to them, or it may come down to other guys other than Devin Booker and Kevin Durant having to make wide-open shots mm-hmm. or, or split decisions in big possessions about what to do with the basketball. Th- those are the things that it's good to have a lot of 
uh, reps behind you mm-hmm. at those moments. Yes. So I think it's it, it remains to be seen. It might be nothing. It might be something. But guess what? Nobody was questioning the uh, Suns' cohesion last uh, postseason. They had they had it in buckets, and what happened? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Oh, it disappeared. Right. It evaporated yeah. very quickly. What a very strong bucket, Vidi. <laughs> Some holes in it was that more bucket. More like one of those Easter baskets with straw. Oh. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> Some you melted punch chocolate a hole coming out. Right. Side. Exactly. Yeah. All right, the D-backs are now 7-4, and four, folks. They've won four straight games, including last night's win over the Brewers, 3-0. Josh Rojas got them on the board with an RBI single early on, and then Christian Walker tacked on two more with a two-run home run in the fifth. Zach Gallen was lights out in his third start of the season. He had 11 strikeouts, no runs, three hits, and a walk. Here is Tori Lovello after the win, telling reporters what he liked about Gallen's performance. Yeah, today it was all about um, Zach Gallen. You know, what can you say? Seven unbelievable innings, um, 11 strikeouts, um, three hits, low pitch count. It was just one of those days where everything was was going for him, and, and he was never out of any count. He'd get himself right back into it with any pitch at any time. I just thought it was one of those typical Zach outings that he just sit back and enjoy the ride because those, those are fun games for everybody to watch. So he says typical Zach outing, but his first two were not really a sit back and enjoy the ride kind of performance. Mm-hmm. So what was the main difference to you guys from Gallon's first two starts the season to last night? You could see it, uh, the, just the comfort level he had. He was in a nice rhythm. He was getting the ball, setting himself, looking, pitching, and, and his curveball was just a monster last night. So that, I think that was the story of last night. Yeah, it was just a matter of, of settling in, getting off to a good start, getting you know the, the early cushy. Even though it was only a one-run lead after the first inning, that that can do something psychologically to a pitcher too, to give you a little bit of a, a feeling of security. Yeah, but a little he, padding. He, I mean, he looked just unhittable last it's night. Flowing, baby. Yeah, yeah. Still right. want to see him get a complete game at some point. Okay, all right. A nine-inning complete. Boy, aren't you heard it here, Zach? Yeah, right. He wants one too. He told us last year he still wants one. All right. Although complete games are kind of dinosaur statistics. Yeah, so. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's quickly squeeze in the Arizona Cardinals. We've got a development, the latest uh, accusations made by the former VP of player personnel, Terry McDonough. Uh, he now has, well, let me refresh you for those who, who maybe didn't hear. Last Tuesday, he filed a grievance with the NFL all about Michael Bidwell and the Cardinals culture underneath him. And then last night, the development here is that Pro Football Talk published excerpts from a letter from another former Cardinals executive, Ron Miniger, who uh, he apparently wrote and delivered a letter to to Bidwell in December of 2019 that corroborates a lot of what Terry McDonough claims, including uh, Miniger wrote in the letter that Bidwell is angry every day. He is arrogant. He is condescending. He writes that Bidwell points fingers when things go wrong, but takes credit when things go well. Uh, He wrote that the Cardinals organization's lack of sustained success combined with Bidwell's daily anger is frustrating and makes him feel like he has wasted his time there. Um, And then he, according to Pro Football Talk, uh, Miniger wrote that a majority of Cardinals employees during their time working there are in fear of Michael Bidwell, and that has to do with the way that he treats them. What are your thoughts on this development and the context around it? Uh, it was um, it, to me. This is it, this is the first step in this thing expanding, uh, and I think that is the the crossroads that this quote unquote arbitration hearing, investigation, whatever you want to call it, really is going to be defined by. Is this just the complaints of an aggrieved uh, former guy? 
Um, or is this really a system, systemic, toxic workplace that was very evident under Robert Sarver and led to the NBA investigation of him? Yeah, a uh, lot uh, a lot of, for me, Sarah, yeah. a lot of what you described is, is one man's perspective on another man's attitude. And yes, they probably worked very closely together. The biggest thing was the further allegation that Michael Bidwell shut down this external kind of audit review, employee survey, because he didn't like the way the results were going. Uh, That's by far the biggest development. Listen, and I mean, in fairness, uh, Michael Bidwill had just dealt with the Steve Kime issue, the DUI, which came came at a time when everything they had built up was falling apart. And now after bending over backwards to keep Steve Kime, which might have even included a burner phone scheme, allegedly, Mm -hmm. now another key member of his organization gets a DUI. Yes. So if if Michael Bidwell was being very rude and terse to Ron Miniger, that has to be part of what you that has to be part of the context here. So so all this back and forth about he was angry and all this stuff, to me that goes out the window. What, yeah, I do what, too. Yeah. What, the, all of it goes out the window. To me, what matters is did he really stop this workplace survey, uh, w- thereby preventing and increasing the toxicity of which has been alleged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That to me is what's of what that's really the the most notable thing here going forward. Totally yeah. agree. Well said. Thank you, Sarah. Thank We're you, all guys. rebooted. Rush Hour Reboot every morning at 7.30. Coming up next, we'll talk some NFL draft with uh, ESPN NFL draft analyst Matt Miller, who joined us straight ahead here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings. We are 16 days away from the first round of the NFL Draft and here to talk about it with us and what it means for the Arizona Cardinals and elsewhere from ESPN NFL Draft Analyst Matt Miller checks in on the Arizona Sports Line. Matt, thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate you guys for having me. Thanks a lot. Uh, We've been talking so much about the Cardinals at number three, all this interest, this latest report from Adam Schefter that six teams have inquired about moving up to a number three. Realistically, if the Cardinals were to move down, how far do you think they could move down and still, you know, and, and still get an impact player in the first round? Yeah, I think I mean that's the question that that Monty and the crew have to be asking themselves as well. I would look at this and say you want to get an impact defender, and I, I think especially when it's your first go around as a GM, your first draft with a new team, you have the number three pick, you want to come out of this draft with a good player, with an impact player, somebody that you can hang your hat on. Of hey, our first pick is a good pick, it's a good player. So I think it's you don't want to get too far. I would say. Seven or eight is probably the floor to feel like you could get one of the top three defenders. That's Will Anderson, Alabama, Jalen Carter uh, coming out of Georgia, Atari Wilson from Texas Tech. After eight, you have to think Chicago is going to grab one of those guys. The Philadelphia Eagles would love to grab one of those guys. So the best case scenario is you can trade back a little bit, you know, to five, six, seven, uh, let somebody come up for a quarterback, and then we see four quarterbacks go in the top four. Uh, but if, if Houston doesn't take a quarterback, then I think Arizona, that that changes things as well. You don't want to trade back farther. If Houston takes Will Anderson, you got to recalculate a little bit and say, okay, well, Seattle might take one of these guys, so maybe we don't want to trade back very far. Uh, maybe you just flip with Indianapolis. So there's 
a lot of different scenarios. I'm sure the Cardinals are doing their own mock drafts. They're reading mock drafts to try to see what scenarios are out there that maybe we haven't run through and and things that could actually happen. When you take a look at the number three pick and the demand for for it, if the Cardinals are shopping it, there was a report that six teams might be interested. How do you see this thing progressing as we get closer to draft day? Do you think there's going to be that kind of frenzy and that kind of potential haul that the Cardinals really have no choice but to trade out? of it? Uh, yes, I do. I think as we get closer to the draft, the the pressure for that pick only goes up. Now, I think we'll see teams drop out, you know, because it's what's going to happen is the same thing that happened when the Bears wanted to trade the number one pick. It's going to get too expensive for some teams, so they're going to drop out, you know. Uh, so I, I think we could see that, you know, if you're the if the Minnesota Vikings had picked 23, they might call and be interested as per Schefter's report. I know he didn't say Minnesota, but they might call and be like, hey, what's the price? And Arizona says, oh, to go to 23, we want three first-round picks. Okay, well, you're going to drop out, but you still made the call to inquire about it. So I think we, we will – I believe we'll see a deal get done. I, I do think it'll be a very nice haul for Arizona to move out of that spot. But uh, to me, you got to stay, in, like I said, in that top 10 range. Matt Miller, ESPN NFL Draft Analyst, our guest here on uh, Bickley and Murata Mornings. To go back to the, the, the first question I asked, you said, all right, to, to be still maybe assured of getting an impact defensive player, trade down to, to seven or eight, and if that player is a Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech, in your eyes, Matt, what is the difference, what is the drop-off from a Will Anderson to a Tyree Wilson? Because we, we talked to Mel Kuyper, and he's got a pretty big drop-off there. What, what is your opinion on those two players? I have a pretty big drop off as well. Apologies, my dog apparently got excited about oh, that. It's all good, man. Uh, it's all yeah. good. Uh, he's a he's a big Alabama fan. We're trying to change him. Uh, yeah. No, I think there's a, there's a drop off, and we can look at Tyree Wilson. To me, it's a lot like last year. Maybe that's the easiest way to put it. Last year, Aiden Hutchinson was the guy. Right? You watched every Saturday in the fall when you watched football, who was the best defender? It was Aiden Hutchinson or Will Anderson. And then it, the draft comes around and it's, oh, wait, here's Trevon Walker who tested really well and he's like, he's long and he's got this power. But Aiden Hutchinson was always the better football player. And I think this year, Tyree Wilson is that Trevon Walker. You look at the measurables, they're really good. And you can even look at the analytics and say, my goodness, his pressure rate was great. But he was in the Big 12, where they don't even really block. They just throw the ball as fast as they can. To me, Will Anderson, what he did in the SEC the last two years was some of the most dominant football I've ever seen. I mean, it goes back to me for, like, Indomitian Sue, Aaron Donald, you know, like players who just could not be stopped. And to not just have the traits, but to have the production. So Will Anderson's the best player in the class to me. I have Tyree Wilson ranked number eight overall, but there's a there's a big drop in those seven points. All right, so if, if there's a team that really does want to give up the farm for the third pick, who are they giving it up for, Anthony Richardson or Will Levis? I think Anthony Richardson. Every team I talk to, says Will Levis is, is trending in the wrong direction. You know, whether it be from the workouts or the interviews, um, they just, it's, it has not been a positive pre-draft process for him. Now I'll, I'll add the caveat that it only takes one team to like you. So maybe the Indianapolis Colts love Will Levis and they say, hey, let's flip spots so we can get our guy and make sure no one jumps us. But I think the more likely situation is that it is it would be for Anthony Richardson. And it might be a team, you know, it might be the Raiders coming up from seven. It might be the Tennessee Titans trying to jump up from 11. Um, we don't, it's crazy. A couple weeks out, we don't know yet. 
as teams are kind of stacking their boards right now and finalizing things. But I would have to imagine if you're trading up that high, it's for the upside of a 21-year-old Anthony Richardson who has the greatest athletic measurables we've ever seen at the quarterback position. And, you know, had some his highs are really, really high. It's just, you know, finding some consistency for him is going to be the key. Talking with Matt Miller from ESPN NFL Draft Analyst here on uh, Arizona Sports. Uh, it's been coming up, and you even mentioned it in this interview, Matt, that the possibility that Houston at number two, that has been devoid of a quarterback, really a long-term option, a quarterback for a while since Deshaun Watson, might not take a quarterback yeah. at number two. Do you think that would be a monumental mistake by Houston? Yeah, absolutely. I do. But we're talking about Houston, and we've seen them make a lot of those. I mean, they, you guys remember the DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins trade? I mean, come on. Yes, we do. back like some, some desert sand and a running back who couldn't run anymore. Uh, so I, I do think that you have to look at Houston and say, okay, I, new regime, maybe cooler heads will prevail. But I do think there's – you know, I, it's there's only 32 of those jobs, GM jobs. And I think sometimes there's overthinking, but there's also some paralysis by analysis. And I think we've seen Chris Ballard do this in Indianapolis where you know if you trade up or, or pick a quarterback early and you're wrong, you're probably getting fired. And for most general managers, you only get one go around uh-huh. at that job. It's very, uh, very rare for guys like Trent Baalke to get a second opportunity as a general manager. So I think there's a little bit of you got to be really convicted to put your job on the line for a player. So could we see Houston do that? Absolutely. Now, looking at their depth chart, you know, they've got Davis Mills. And, and, you know, that's, that's it. They don't have, you know, they don't have a, you know, Case Keenum's fine, but like they don't have a young guy that you can say, yeah. oh, maybe they turn to a, you know, a Matt Corral or a Desmond Ritter. They don't have that. So Houston has to get a quarterback at some point in this draft. But I do know that there's a lot of chatter that that might not be at two. You know, at two, it might be a Will Anderson. And then you look at pick number 12 and say, all right, let's see what happens. You know, maybe somebody falls like Justin Fields did. Maybe somebody falls like Max Jones did, and you can get somebody a little bit further down. Yeah, Matt, great stuff. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, appreciate you guys. Have a good day. You too. Matt Miller, ESPN NFL Draft Analyst, joined us on the Arizona Sports Line. We've reached the halfway point of the Tuesday show. You know what happens next. Big's going to kick it off with the blast. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.